We read the scripture as to not forget where we've come from and where we are going. That is towards Jesus. Take a moment to speak it out loud over your life, your family, and our world. Now let's read together. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Well, good morning. Isn't That's a good word right there. <laughs> um, Good. I just want to say hello to uh, everyone this morning. Uh, my name is Clayton. I am on staff here, um, and Pastor Matthew is not out of town. He's actually hanging out right over there, and uh, he asked if I would be interested in sharing on 1 Corinthians 2 this morning, and so uh, I get to do that. So uh, if you're new around here, welcome. If I haven't met you, um, I hope to someday in the future. I want to say hello to those of you online as well. You are a part of what what God is doing, whether you're in Southeast Kansas or actually in another country. That actually has happened. We have people that are streaming from other countries, which is really cool. Um, two things. I know you just watched an announcement video, but we want to make sure nobody uh, is out of the loop. So we have two big things coming up. Uh, Baptism Sunday, June 27th. That's kind of a big deal. So uh, if you haven't been baptized, we want to invite you to consider that. Um, it's your public profession of, of faith and following Jesus. Pastor likes to say it's your, your press conference and uh, ready to kind of announce publicly who you are and who you're following. And the second is 4th of July. 4th, 4th of July falls on a Sunday this year. And so we are celebrating family style. So kind of like family reunion style. So we're going to meet at Gun Park. So uh, we hope that you will join us there if you're in town. Um, that would be fantastic. So, all right, are you ready to get into the Word this morning? Yes. All right, say, I'm ready. I'm ready. All right, good. I just need a little communication from you. It's a little quiet. We like, you know, we got to loosen it up a little bit. Um, all right, so we are in 1 Corinthians. Um, and so Pastor Matthew kind of recapped a little bit about what the Corinthians were about. And so um, it's important that we understand the culture, right, that he was writing to. Um, all right, so Paul, Paul went to the Corinthians, or to Corinth, and he started a church, and Corinth needed a church really badly uh, that followed the, the righteous son, or followed the righteous God, not the other gods that were already there. So he wrote a letter in AD about 56, and this is his sec second letter uh, to the church, because the church was having some struggles, was having some problems, and so, um, so he needed to address some of those things. So Corinth, remember we talked about um, last week, last Sunday, was a port city. So it was like, um, if you wanted to do it, you could find a place to do it kind of city, all right? So um, think uh, some commentaries have kind of described Corinth as like Las Vegas, New York, Miami, like all in one place. It was the place to be. Uh, in fact, uh, Las Vegas has a phrase. Uh, it's uh, what happens in Vegas. 
Oh, you a bunch of sinners. <laughs> I see. See, now we need to loosen up here a little bit, right? Well, well, Corinth had the same, they had the same phrase. It was, everything is permissible, all right? That's a dangerous city to be in, if you know what I mean. So, um, so Corinth was famous for uh, the indulgence and sensuality. Um, there was a lot of temples and sanctuaries set up to the Greek and Roman gods. And uh, we talked a little bit about that last week as well. Um, their, their pagan ideology was, was rampant. And, um, and uh, I mean, if you, you went to the pastor, kind of described a little bit what it would be like to go and worship in some of the, the Greek gods. And, and uh, just to kind of unveil that a little bit more, you, you might have a temple that is, um, that particular god is, you know, uh, the god of the harvest or whatever. And so you participate in the feast and the bird offerings. And then you go down the street to another sanctuary that is um, the goddess the, or the god of wine, right? And so how do you participate in worshiping that god? Well, pour me another. Let's, you know, worship. And then the temple of, uh, or the sanctuary of Aphrodite, the god of fertility, all right? Um, I will leave that to your imagination on how you worship with that. So, so, there's, so Paul started this church in the middle of that community, in the middle of that city, where all things were permissive, right? And, uh, and so he got word that, hey, um, our church isn't doing so good. And so he wrote a letter, actually a couple of them. And uh, so the first six chapters of 1 Corinthians are kind of addressing some real problems. And uh, so it's almost like an open rebuke, like, listen, guys, get your stuff together. And, uh, and then the, the rest of the, uh, the book of Corinthians is answering some questions. How do we do this? How do we do church? How do we, how do we worship the Lord? And so, um, so, so we heard 1 Corinthians chapter 1 last week. Today we're going to jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, I've been saying 2 Corinthians. So if I say 2 Corinthians, we're actually in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. My brain sometimes, it keeps toggling that. So, all right. So before we actually get into chapter 2, I'm going to steal back to chapter 1 a little bit uh, because uh, the tail end of chapter 1 kind of leads into something that I want to spend a few minutes talking about. And uh, so if you have your Bible with you, if you've got the Bible app, uh, or if you got, go to the central hub, you can kind of follow along on the notes of what we're going to be talking about. So uh, the verse that I want to start off with is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. And you can read that along with me if you've got it there on your phone or your Bible. And it says, but God chose what the world thinks foolish to shame the wise. God chose what the world thinks is weak to shame the strong. Now, um, there's this kind of this concept that's really interesting, uh, which is sort of the first point in what Paul is going to spend some of chapter 2 dealing with, which is the foolishness of God. Now, um, some of you are like, wait, can we call God foolish? <laughs> well, you can call him whatever you want, but uh, just because we're talking about the foolishness of God, remember Paul is saying it's foolishness to us. It doesn't mean that God is foolish, right? And um, so we talked about the little bit, and, uh, and I want to talk about that a little bit more because sometimes God seems to go out of his way to do weird stuff. Like, have you noticed that? Like, have you, anybody read the Old Testament? Right? So, I mean, like, um, you know, just a couple things, you know, like knowing the ark. God says, hey, I'm going to flood the entire globe. Hey, and uh, Noah, I want you to build a little boat that's going to withstand that. 
Like, it, it doesn't matter that you've never built a boat before. Don't worry about that. It'll be fine, right? So that's kind of an odd thing. Um, what about Samson? Samson empowered, or God empowered Samson with this, like, ridiculous, like, um, uh, kind of superpower strength that was tied to his hair. Like, I, I don't, okay. Um, so uh, that was in Judges, if you want to read up on that. Uh, then there's another story in Numbers 21 where Moses is, is hanging out with the people of Israel and all these snakes started coming in and biting people and they were like dying and Moses was like, God, what do we do? He's like, uh, make a bronze snake and put it on a pole. And when they look at it, they'll be healed. Okay, I'm healed. Like, what? Gideon uh, is also, oh, uh, actually, let me do this one too. This Jonah, Okay. How about a guy that's running from God? Let's, hey, let's swallow him up with a big fish. I, okay, so uh, another fascinating story. I encourage you to read it. Gideon, the weakest of the tribe. God picks him to lead a battle. Okay, that's not really the weird part. The weird part is how he gets his dudes to fight. So like 10,000 guys show up like, yeah, man, let's do this. And God's like, hold on, too many people. All right, way too many. Um, have them go down to the water and get a drink. And the ones that drink like this, those are your guys, all right? Um, and you got 300 guys that are there. So, okay, so, uh, so many of you have heard these stories. Uh, I got two more. One, uh, Jericho. This is another, I think, really interesting one. You know, the people, God's like, hey, go, go take this city. And I just can imagine, like, um, you know, the leader's like, okay, here's what we're going to do, okay? This giant walled cities, these walls are massive. And the, the general's like, okay, so here, we're going to, we're going to march around this city, and we're going to, like, make some noise. And that's it, right? <laughs> like, like, the guys are like, what? Like, what? But it worked, right? That's the crazy thing. It works. And I think the ultimate, to me, almost what would seem the foolishness of God is to send when, you, when the time has come where the universe, the cosmos, and God's plans come to fruition, where God sends his son to the earth, the savior of all humanity, he puts him in a barnyard. Like that, that doesn't make sense to me. But that's okay, because I'm not God. It doesn't have to make sense to me. Now, what's really interesting is some of these stories are the very reasons people today will not give their hearts to the Lord. They're like, that God, that is a God of fairy tales. That is a, those things didn't really happen because they, they, they're like, it's so foolish. I'm not even going to buy into that. And that's why we're spending a few minutes talking about what I, what I like to kind of call, and other people have called this, this upside down theology of what God, how God runs this planet. And since God created, I guess he can run it however he wants to. Um, so this is. So we're talking also about this because this is part of the struggle of the people of Corinth. Um, they, um, but also for us, when we start wrestling with the foolishness of God, what does it do? It makes us sit and ask the Holy Spirit, show us, show me. What, what, are, what were you thinking? It's okay to go to God and say, what, what were you thinking? Because he wants to tell us. This is the amazing thing. All of those stories that I told you weren't just for the Old Testament. Those stories actually, many, some of them, specifically Jonah, 
actually pointed to the Messiah that was to come. And I don't have the time to go and explain all of those. It's fascinating. I'll let you go on your own treasure hunt with that. But it is, it is amazing. I encourage you when, you think, when you've come across a weird passage, sit in it for a minute. Don't run for that because that's good. If we only have a casual reading of Scripture, then we'll only have a casual understanding of the kingdom of God. So Proverbs 2.2 tells us, apply our heart to understanding. When we lean in to search out what God, what he was doing, it's then that we realize what he is doing because he does want to share that with us, okay? Um, so uh, the, uh, his, sorry, I got ahead of myself in my notes. All right, but to some degree, we do have to buy into the fact that God is, can be weird, right? That is, or I should say, let me rephrase that. God's not weird. We, we have to buy into the fact that we don't have complete understanding. I think that's a, that's a better way to say that one. Uh, By the way, pastor's here, so if I screw something up, just come back next week. He'll fix it all. So, <clears throat> All right. So, so, so we've talked a little bit about the foolishness of God. Now, Paul understood what we would call the foolishness of God, and that's what he addresses in the first part of chapter 2, all right? He tells his people that he's writing to in the first part of the letter, uh, I'm going to focus on Jesus. He understood that the profound wisdom of Jesus, and he understood that those people needed to grasp the root of what he was trying to do because they were not grasping it. So, um, so I want to read this together. Paul understood this this idea really well. So read with me 1 Corinthians 2, and we're going to read chapters 1 to 5. Verses 1 to 5, not chapters 1 to 5. We'd be here for All right. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come with a superior eloquence or wisdom as I proclaim the testimony of God. Some versions say mystery of God. For I decided to be concerned about nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. My conversation and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith would not be based on human wisdom, but on the power of God. See, even in that opening phrase, he's trying to demonstrate to them the upside down kingdom. Um, let's, let's look at specifically what he said. I did not come with eloquence. I did not come with wisdom. I came in weakness. I came in fear and much trembling. I'm not going to use persuasive words. Now, I've, I've taught public speaking for 10 years. And I have never encouraged the speaker to start off like this. All right? In fact, if I walked up here this morning and said, hey, guys, I'm... I'm really nervous. I don't know that I can do this. I, I'm really not that smart. I, I, you know, like, that does not instill a confidence. Now, those things might be true. I'm not that smart. <laughs> I am a little nervous. But, but, but what Paul was doing, now get this, because out of all the writers in Scripture, Paul was highly qualified. He had wisdom of the age. He was, one, he was highly educated. He was, he, was a, he was a Jew. He had all the training of the Jewish school. He was a Roman citizen that counted for something. Like he had reason to boast and in other parts. He does 
write about those things. But this is the important part because he's giving a specific word to a specific people and dealing with a specific issue. He is determined not to compete with the world because it's not really a competition. Right? We heard last week that this was the speaker central, like Corinth, like all the speakers, all the great philosophers, they all went here to be heard. And Paul's like, no, this isn't a competition. I'm not trying to be the best and the brightest. And you have got to flip your mind on what is real and what is not. If he came with wise words and eloquence and the convincing arguments, he might win some arguments. But to what? Right? I, okay. They would just say, Paul was another great speaker with really sound philosophical thoughts. He'd be labeled as a, he's a great thinker of the age. And he's like, no, no, stop. None of that. You've got to wrap your head around what is real and what is important. Okay? And that's why in verse 2 he says, put all that worldly stuff aside. I have decided to be, this is verse 2. I've decided to be concerned about nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because to think a God would die for their people, that was backwards and foolish. Because think about the gods that they were worshiping in that time. They were worshiping these gods who were giving them stuff. Hey, here, here, go get drunk. Here, go eat. Here, go sleep with. Um, so the gods were, were handing out gifts to the people. So to, to hear this message that, wait, God gave his son to die for us? Like that was, that seems silly. It doesn't even make sense on so many different levels. Some of, okay, so this is what he was really trying to drive home because the people of Paul's, that came to Paul's church who did believe in Jesus, they kind of like were putting Jesus on the shelf. Like, okay, well, there's a long boulevard, a sanctuary, so we've got this God, this God, this God. Here's Jesus, the God. Like, well, like that's cool, right? And uh, so, so many of these sanctuaries kind of felt more like a party rather than a, a, a honoring and a re, re, uh, What's the word? A, a reverence to come before this a deity. It was like, hey, party man. And, uh, and, and so Paul was trying to correct that idea, ideology. And how this relates to us, because some of us might be like, well, hey, we don't, have any, we don't have any sanctuaries around here of like those Greek gods and whatevers. But don't we still worship in temples that are not designed for us, Right. Some of us know these kind of temples, and we've participated in the worship of the world. And what we thought was fun and celebration at some point turns into bondage and addiction, and all of a sudden is not really that fun anymore. And before we realize it, we're sort of trapped, right? There's unwanted consequences, and uh, Paul was trying to say, listen, You've got, to, you've got to change your thinking. There's a great series about, in a good book called Mindset Matters. Okay, you can pick it up in the lobby after service. All right. Um, so, but we've got to shift this idea from worldly thinking to what the message that is in Scripture. All right. Because what may seem like celebration actually leads to devastation. What seems like freedom leads to bondage. And what seems like religious experiences really is self-worship. And that's what Paul is trying to get away from that. 
Paul is emphasizing this upside down kingdom because uh, he, he understood the culture and what was going on. Um, so uh, also, again, like I said before, uh, there's some people that have problems with Christianity because of that. They don't understand that. The message of the gospel is this, that God would die, Jesus would die on a cross for our sin, be raised again on the third day, and offer this to humanity as a gift. Paul realizes this is a critical understanding to the believers at Corinth. They needed to have a, not only an understanding of that, but they needed to operate from that position. All right? Now, this is where it gets really interesting. Okay. All right. We're, uh, I got a few minutes left, and we're in verse 6. Okay? So jump with me to 1 Corinthians 2.6. He says, Now we do speak wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age. Okay, stop. That's all we're going to get in verse 6. Okay? I know some of you just found it. You're like, wait, what? <laughs> all right. I'll read it again. Now, we do speak wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of the age, okay? So, so we talked about the foolishness of God, and then we talked about Paul's focus on Jesus. And so this is the third thing that I want to kind of hit is the foundation of the mature. Now, this passage could be fairly straightforward with a simple reading. However, we just talked about the shape that the church is in. It's a mess. So when I ran across that word mature, I was like, Hold, this doesn't make sense. What does this mean? Like, I don't, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I hope that was like, hold on, wait a minute. That, what? That's a little confusing. That seems a little odd that Paul would say, hey, to all, to all you mature in Corinth. Well, so uh, because of that confusion, I was like, listen, I, uh, I need to examine what this means. And so uh, before we look, I'm going to look in that word mature here in just a minute. But first, I want to zoom out to the first three chapters of Corinthians because Paul greets the church in three different ways that are significant, okay? In chapter 1, he says, he's writing to the church in Corinthians, he says, to those sanctified and called to be saints. That sounds wonderful, doesn't it? If you were the people are like, well, we're called to be saints, okay? Chapter 2, verse 6, he says, we speak wisdom among the mature. That's a verse we just read. Well, yes, Paul must know us pretty well. But then chapter 3, verse 1, I can't speak to you as spiritual people, but people of the flesh, you bunch of babies. Okay, he says infants, he doesn't say a bunch of babies, but, but it's like, so Paul, so, but, but, so it's, it's, I, I laughed out loud when I read that. It's like, okay, he's like, saints, mature you bunch of babies. Like, okay, how does this, like, help me? What's going on here, right? So, um, so in chapter 1, get this. This is where the rubber hits the road for us today. He said he's speaking to the calling. Called to be saints. That is us. Now, some of you are like, oh, do you know what I did last weekend? I don't know. Okay, perfect. That's where, that's where we're going, right? Okay. We're called to be saints. Saints. Chapter 2, he says he's writing to the mature, and I'm going to explain that in just a minute. Chapter 3, he's writing to their current condition of their flesh. Okay? So, anyway, there's hope coming, right? In chapter 2, Paul says, we speak wisdom among the mature. So, in order to fully understand what Paul's saying, I, I, want, I went to the Greek. I did. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, okay? Which, by the way, all of you can do this, right? You have the internets, hopefully. 
All right? You have access. You can do this. All right? But I want you to walk with me. The Greek word for that word that's, uh, that he uses, mature, is teleos. Everybody say teleos. Ah, you're Greek scholars now. Good job. All right. Now, I'm not a big, you know, I, okay, so we're just going to walk through this. Now, listen, this is what kind of sort of, all right, so the, so the word is teleos. I'm going to read the definitions. Having reached its end, perfect, complete in all its parts, full grown. Now, if you have a King James translation, King James actually translates that word as perfect. I speak to you as perfect. Now, some of you in here, like, well, probably all of, well, I don't know, I can't speak for everybody. If I was to say who's perfect in here, no, I'm not going to ask. <laughs> we might have some takers, but I don't know that anybody in here, <laughs> I don't know that anybody in here says, yep, I'm a saint, I am perfect. Uh, show me where to sign up, what can I do to help, all right? Um, this is what is profound. He's talking about, because remember what he just told us he was talking about in verse 2. I have decided to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. He was talking about the work of the cross in the believer's life. The work of the cross in your life is done. It is finished. It is perfect. And I know some of you are like, okay, wait, explain. All right. Jesus, when he died on the cross, it was finished. Right? It was done. You cannot be kind of a Christian. Okay? I worked with college students, and it was funny because sometimes they come in like, well, you know, I'm not a really good Christian. You can't be a good or a bad Christian. You are a Christian or not. All right? So if I hear any of you saying, like, I'm not really good, I wasn't a really good Christian this week. No, you are a Christian who maybe made bad decisions. That's okay. That's different, okay? It's kind of like being pregnant. You can't be kind of pregnant. You are either pregnant or you are not. And I have four children. I know a little bit about this. All right. When we are born again, and that's a spiritual word for when we decide to follow Jesus, we are a spiritual baby, but that baby has all the parts needed to grow into maturity, okay? And so Paul was saying, listen, you are mature because you have accepted the work of the cross. And it doesn't matter what stage you're in, if you're nearing sainthood or if you are just in the infancy, the work of the cross for your salvation is complete. Now, here's what is, this is what somebody needs to hear this morning. Because some people are saying, am I enough? Am I living a good enough life? Am I doing good enough things to make God proud of me? The answer is no. You can't. You can't do enough good things to make God proud of you or to love you anymore. You can't become more of a Christian. If you've chosen to believe Jesus is God's son, died on the cross in your place, raised three days later, then the work of the cross in your life is teleos. It is complete. It is matured. We don't do works for our salvation. We do works because of our salvation. Okay? 
It's the power of the cross that strengthens us to go forth. It's not our trying to do work so that we are better, we have more of God. We have to understand this upside down reality because until you believe that you have telios, until you realize the work of the cross is 100% complete, then you're going to struggle with the whole second half of chapter 2. Because that's where Paul is trying to get them. Because he's saying God has a spirit. And he wants to speak to you spirit to spirit. But if you keep covering that flesh body with fleshly things, with fleshly worship, then it's going to cloud that communication. And Paul's like, put a, oh, that's chapter three. I'm not going to go there. All right. We're not going to hear clearly if we continue to try to earn our salvation, if we try to go at it on ourselves. So on a super practical level, this is another passage that, that kind of hit me as I was studying through this. Because you might be like, okay, so, so what do I do? What does that mean? How do, how do we do that? How do we do that? Colossians gives us a great uh, couple verses. Colossians 3, 15 and 16. How do we let that work come out in us? How do we believe that? How do we process that? There's two instructions in Colossians. Verse 15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Now, I know for some of us that's easier than others. I know that there's struggles. I know that our minds get in the way. Like, I understand all that. It takes practice. We just came out of a whole collection of messages about practice. Paul didn't say, you're going to be spiritually mature overnight. He said, the work of the cross is done and mature. Now you have to grow into that. Okay? Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Now, I love this word, let. You let. It's not God comes and forces. You have to create a space to let that in. Okay, if we're spending more time, now that I'm guilty of this, okay, if we're spending time binging on Netflix and we're only reading the word a few minutes a week, that's not letting the word in, that's letting the world in. Verse 16 of 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, Colossians 3, 15, this is verse 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Let his peace, let his message. Both of those are let. Both of those are you get to choose what comes into your heart. You, you get to determine your atmosphere. If you have said yes to the cross and to Jesus, you have the strength to push out those worldly things because of what God has done in you. And now you have the option to let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. So good, huh? I hope that is hopeful and helpful. Because some of us, I think, struggle with that whole idea of, oh God, I hope I did good today. We've got to stop thinking that way. 
got to stop thinking that way. Because let me tell you, God's Spirit wants to speak things to you that you didn't even know was possible. But when we focus on the possible, we can't hear the impossible. Because we serve an impossible God. But he's kind of upside down sometimes, according to this world, right? Let's take communion together. Would you stand with me? So we remember. You know, the, the, the communion that we have, we have two parts. We've got the, the wafer that reminds us of Jesus, what he did on the cross. And so this morning, I want you just to take a minute. And I want you to remember, like acknowledge the work of the cross is complete in me. So would you take the bread with me? And then the juice. The juice is, represents the blood. The blood that atoned. The blood that did the work on the cross. The blood that is finished. Complete. You don't have to work for it. It's done. So take and drink it with me. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you love us. And we thank you that you want to speak unspeakable things to us, which doesn't even make any sense. But we will take it. We want all that you have for us. Father, we thank you so much. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Everyone, thank you so much for choosing to participate online with us today. Even if you are watching at home or at school or somewhere else, you are a valuable part of the church. We want to be connected with you. Please send us a message on social or email us at hello at faithchurchks.org. If you are watching live and want someone to pray with you, please send us a direct message or submit a prayer request through the central hub, faithchurchks.org. We'd love to pray with you. Well, I pray that God's richness and mercy has blessed you today. Hope to see you back next week. <laughs>
Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see it in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.